Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of a Playful Escape podcast. My name is Kimberly. And my name is Cindy. And we are your hosts. Today we are going to be talking about our deepest fears. We are? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like <laughs> I had no pretense as to what this podcast is gonna contain this time. I literally had no idea. <laughs> what we were gonna do okay we're talking about our fears well a better way to say it is that we're gonna be talking about imposter syndrome but the uh, reason right. i say our deepest fears is because imposter syndrome is basically you confronting your fears within yourself so the fears of you pretending to be a fraud or a line so these are like some very deep-seated fears Okay. Do you want me to elaborate a little bit more? I understand what you're trying to get at. Imposter syndrome, the, when, the first thing I think about when I hear that word is, for example, when you go to a new job, you act like you know how to do the job, but you may not. You just kind of fake it till you make it. Yes. So that faking it until you make it mentality is something that we tend to go through when we go to an interview and people tell us, what can you do? Why should we hire you? And we BS our way through it, but typically using some experiences that we have. As a student, we only have those experiences in a learning setting. We never actually execute those. But apparently imposter syndrome is something everyone deals with, but no one actually addresses it. Yeah, I feel like most people that ever bring it up or talk about it they always refer to it in past tense, saying that they, they are no longer doing it because they've already got to a place where they're comfortable. Yes. But in my experience, I've actually been noticing more people saying I have, in the present tense, imposter syndrome. I feel like I do not belong. I feel like I'm not qualified. I feel like I'm not worthy of being in this company, in this position, in this situation and it's an overwhelming feeling to feel like you are a fraud i wouldn't necessarily go to that extreme and say that somebody is a fraud because it's not so much that they don't know or feel welcome there it's just that's not their place yet they're working to make it their place and i think the intention of some companies is they 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 know that they know that you're not quite ready to take this on and I feel like when a company hires you right out of college they typically expect that despite the fact that you might carry yourself a certain way to get hired they know that you may not 100% be comfortable in that situation right off the bat but they're hoping to help you get there so I think everybody knows that it exists, but they don't acknowledge it. Yeah, it's just a couple of the things that I think have been in my mind is that there's a difference between theory and practice. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I had this conversation with you or someone else, but it's been in my mind where in theory this this and this will happen 
but executing it or in practice, it will not fall through. It's kind of a scientific hypothesis. Like we will come up with a hypothesis of I get out of school, graduate with my degree and everything. And from there, I'm going to go straight into a company that will value my assets and train me and get me to the top. In theory, that is great. In practice, it doesn't always happen that way. Right. I don't really feel like we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. I feel like it probably has more to do with, like you said, what did you say? Theory versus practice? Yes. There's a difference between the theory and the practice. Yeah. So I feel like that's a really accurate representation. I guess that would be my one fear, probably, that I may have certain expectations that may not be met. That's it. But as much as that might be like a fear for me, I don't like to think about it too much. How come? So although it's there, I don't acknowledge it because it's not my time yet to worry about it, if you will. I think because I've already completed a significant milestone in that practice, I obtained my degree but I do not have the company that I am in, that I come to the realization that I feel like a fraud in the career realm as an English major realm. Yes, I read. Yes, I write. Have I done it in the past year during this pandemic? No. Have I taught anything English related in the past year? No. The lack of me creating the experiences that I need for my career makes me more aware of how much of a failure I feel like. I get that, but that's just like a lot to unload. <laughs> it, is, it is a lot to unload, which is why sometimes I don't even bring that fear or that acknowledgement of that mentality into conversations because I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to deal with like the anxieties that I have for not having a career. I'm trying to deal with the anxieties of living in a pandemic. I'm trying to f deal with the anxieties of everything else. And then I'm also taking on all of these stresses. It's not that it's required. Luckily, we have parents that are able to support us. I don't need to start paying for my student loans yet because I'm technically still a student because I found a loophole. I, I wouldn't say that you are a student, but I understand. And I feel like we've probably brought this up as well in the past, how we are not where we want to be, especially given our milestones that we've passed, perhaps. Yes. And it can be really frustrating. It's just, it's a lot to unload. Again, I'm going to say, unfortunately, you have to find the small pleasures in life. So instead of, like I said, I tend to typically avoid thinking about that until I get there. So that's like my prolonged procrastination. It's like, I'll deal with it when I get there which is not great. It's like a psychological thought process. I have a comment about the procrastination, but I want you to finish your thought. So when I took a psychology class back, I don't know, like four years ago, probably now, I don't remember exactly. It's been four years, but I really do enjoy psychology. So I remember the basic thought of it the idea, the general outline, if you will. It's that when people face disasters or conflicts, there are three train of thoughts or ways of processing it. One is prepare ahead of time for any scenario. 
but then you can be too overprepared. You're worrying too much of what can happen that you're not letting anything happen. You're not experiencing stuff. Then there's the procrastinator that it's like whatever happens, happens basically. So you're not prepared for anything. Disaster can strike, but it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's like just a mellow line. So is the worrier who always has everything ready. But then there's that middle line that ideally I think everybody wants. You prepare ahead of time, but as you get closer to the date of something, so for example, let's say a test, just as an example to like help get this thought process out for me. Say I know I have a midterm in the middle of the year. In the beginning, I'm going to think, oh, I have to stay on top of my studies so I don't fall behind for this midterm. As the date approaches, if I haven't followed through with studying early on, it's going to be very overwhelming at the end. So I could be one of three people, stay on top of my studies without worrying, and the day will come and I will take my test and I will probably not have struggled that much. I will procrastinate till the very end and have a lot of anxiety just at the very like tip of the iceberg of when my like exams approaching or I can study and try to prepare but as the date gets closer and closer I feel still overwhelmed but since I've been managing my studies it's not so overbearing I will tell you right off the bat I am a combination of all three <laughs> or there are different things like I don't get me wrong. It's just ways that you can approach a problem. And I feel like for certain scenarios, I don't really worry too much about them. I will approach the problem as I get there. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But then sometimes I'm like, I don't want to see what happens. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to I don't want to panic. So I'm going to I'm going to do this now before we get there you want to know the excuse that i use when i want to procrastinate uh. that is future kim's problems current kim doesn't want to deal with those problems it's just i blame different versions of myself so right now say i have a paper due in two weeks I i i can do the research and look at it but i will not create an outline i will not type out my thesis statement i will not do any of the work. I will just do some not so serious, but kind of serious research on my topic. And that's it. And I will say to myself, this is enough for today. That's future Kim's problems. But luckily, past Kim, now in the past, assuming I'm like a week into the future. So I have a week until the papers due. past Kim, luckily bookmarked the research or if not bookmarked, at least created a citation page for it. So that way, future Kim can use it. When it's time for future Kim to become present Kim and the papers due tomorrow, this new present Kim's like, damn it, past Kim. Why didn't you even bother writing a sentence or a paragraph or creating an outline? What was your thought process? And the thought process was past Kim thought that future Kim needed the motivation of an impending timeline to work on a paper and was smart enough to add all of these little things that build up and create a perfect p 
paper that will get an A. So that's what happens when I do assignments, papers, and speeches. Mm -hmm. However, you know this about me, and I don't think you've actually seen it. I have a couple of coworkers that actually seen the test anxiety version of Kim. Mm, uh I get you. Uh Uh-huh. So I would prepare. I would study at work. We actually needed to do an assessment. It wasn't even a bad thing. I was under the impression that if I did not pass this test, or this assessment, I was not going to be able to continue working there. I did not know until after I took my test that I was going to be given a second chance to take that test. But I thought that. So I was anxious. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was nervous. I knew the material, or I knew 90% of the material to pass, but I was so nervous every second until I was put in the room by myself to take the test. And once I was in there, I was like, well, my hands are clammy. I can't really type my type. My spelling's terrible because all that I was overthinking it. Even when I was trying not to overthink it, I was overthinking it. That's so interesting. Is this what you were going to mention about procrastination, your past and future? Yes. And no. (laughs) Oh, okay. The second thing is, the procrastination thing is hereditary for us for me at least i don't know from what whom do you believe our mom okay yeah she's a little bit of procrastinator but i don't think it's entirely her fault i feel like sometimes because if we're talking about just purely work-based i feel like a lot of work is thrown on top of her that it leaves her work to be procrastinated left at the end that's fair enough but there were certain times where she's gotten better at it. I think in the past, it was just certain times where she would put things off until the last minute and tell us. And she oh. would just have a, an accumulation of work at the end. Yes, I agree. That used to be a problem. Now, not so much, I don't think. But what I wanted to say is my anxiety, I suppose, is different. I do believe I feel anxiety, but I don't believe I feel anxiety as intensely as other people do because I've seen how people act before exams and they get like fidgety. I've had friends who are literally panicking right before exams sometimes. And I, for the most part, I'm probably like losing myself during an exam, (laughs) not before (laughs) And maybe after an exam, thinking like, oh my god, I didn't know anything. But right before, I'm usually very mellow and calm. I'm like, well, whatever happens, happens. If I knew it, I knew it. If I didn't, I didn't. I don't, you know? I can't change the results of my exam before even taking it. And like, there's literally no time for me to do anything to make a difference. Like I said, I just, I, I know I probably feel anxiety but I don't feel anxiety the same way other people do. I, I, I truly believe that. Just just from pure observation, I've noticed that it's not the same for me or it's not as intense for me. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but I, I've noticed that like in a lot of ways. And I think we brought this up last time, how which is probably what brought upon the like imposter syndrome conversation, which was That Simon rarely feels anxiety, but when he does, it's like intense. And I don't really get to that point. I feel like I might constantly feel anxious about things, 
But because it's so constant, it's kind of like, what is it called? It's like baseline anxiety at this point for me that I don't notice it. I will say that there's a wide variety of anxiety. My test anxiety is a little different than my regular anxiety. My baseline anxieties are, I I would consider myself like a high functioning, anxious kind of person. Like when I'm anxious, I tend to do things because I get restless. I don't like being bored or sitting alone. I feel like I need to help other people or talk to other people or please people. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. I probably need to get, go see a therapist at some point and figure out what's wrong with my life and men- my mentality for me to figure stuff out. But aside from that, my typical anxiety isn't as bad as my test anxiety. So I, for me, it fluctuates. Right. I don't feel like I get very much anxiety apart from maybe just getting really anxious over like nothing, which can happen. And I don't mean nothing like, oh, it's the little things, the littlest things set me off. It's not that. It's like an accumulation of, for example, like the most recent times that I feel like I felt anxious is when I want to clean and I just don't know where to start. It feels overwhelming and I get anxious. Not anxious like, oh my God, this is scary, I suppose, but like it's so overbearing that it's it makes me anxious. That to me is where I can get more anxiety i suppose i'm like the opposite (laughs) when it comes to cleaning i'm just like well to start cleaning you gotta make a mess to make a mess i gotta move everything off of everything and that's how a clean will be (laughs) i I don't know but we clean differently yeah and then apart from that (laughs) mom always insults your method of cleaning (laughs) she's always like she's just like anything i can see anything anyone can see is cleaned everything else doesn't matter Is I feel the way mom put your cleaning method. It's like, okay. For me, it's kind of the reverse. Like, okay, if I had my own place, yes, the living room and the kitchen would be clean because that's where everyone else would be. And the bathroom would be clean. My room would probably not be clean. But for me, it would be a little bit different in the sense that my room would be like spotless. My drawers would be organized. My bookshelves, whatever, would be. No, no, no. What I was saying is I think that's what mom says about you. Yeah. That you you only clean where where people will see. Yeah. Everything else is kind of so like for example, we have a dining room table and our living room with sofas that are on the floor. You will clean the dining room table, the floors and everything, but you won't go to the extent of cleaning the bottom of the chairs which get dirty and gross. Cleaning under the sofas unless you have to or are told to. You won't go out of your way to clean or dust other furniture if you don't think that it has to be done. When it's a last minute here, you have to clean this. Yes, I will. Uh, there's a difference between cleaning and then deep cleaning. <laughs> I understand that. But still, I feel like if you're going to clean, might as well clean the right way or the proper way. So if I clean, I have to deep clean is what I'm being told. That's my perspective. But it's funny that you mentioned that if you had your own place, your room would be spotless. Because um, it's where I spend the most time. Right. I get that. Our parents often talk about um, buying a new home. They've always looked for uh, new at new houses. And 
recently, I don't know if you were actually there, but dad had actually said out of the three of us, if if we had a bedroom that was easily visible, like at the front entrance or something, or on the first floor, if we if it was a two two bedroom home, apart from our grandmother, he says a two story home. What did I say? Two bedroom. Oh, okay. Apart from so if we had gotten a home where it was a two story home and there was a bedroom that was near the door or near the entrance or where pe- most people would see it or pass by it, he said that it would be one of two people's bedrooms, which was our grandma or me. I don't know if you were there when he said that. I did. I was. The implication was that my bedroom would be clean, which I find super entertaining because I I feel like I'm quite messy here at this house because there's nowhere to put my things. But when I lived on my own and I had my own space, I was very clean. When I thought about that, I used to think, I was like, no, that's impossible. I feel like people always see me and or my parents probably see that I have a mess and they think I'm messy. But the fact that he said that, I was like, thank you. <laughs> I, I did end up starting an argument in that sense. I would say the only reason you would think that is because because he remembered how clean you or how organized you were trying to be when you had moved out for college and how you are kind of on top or you know how sometimes I call you moms like, okay, mom, yeah, because you're naggy about it. I think yeah. that's why he thinks that. Uh, well, I, I agree that I think I, w- I would be rather neat and tidy. But I also think that when it comes to clutter and everything, you and Johnny both have a lot of things that would be considered as clutter or would appear as clutter. It would appear as clutter, but I think it's just because Johnny and I have more fandom paraphernalia that we would put on display rather than keep in a box hidden. Because there's certain things that we would like to have and just showcase it, which can be seen as clutter. So yeah, in a way I get that. Yeah, but even then, it's difficult to clean things like that because then you have to remove all your belongings, clean the surface and around, and then clean your belongings and then return them to their place. Not unless you keep them in the box. You still have to clean the box because they get really, really dusty. Yes. that I, I Yeah, I get that. I get that. So it, it's just a matter of like, it's interesting to see how our parents see who would be cleaner or who would be more open with their space. Another reason that I think that they would have put you in like the first floor is because Simon coming over, it's just easier for him to stay in the first floor than go upstairs with everyone else as well. Yeah. I don't know if we've actually really spoken about that. I think we probably have where we feel like we tend to be a little bit more courteous of like other people's privacy. Yes, and I think Simon did bring it up in his episode where he guest starred that there's certain boundaries and there's just those boundaries you don't want to cross those boundaries. So if you had your own room, then yeah, Simon can always go into your room. But it would be probably best for you to be in the more accessible area rather than an area where it's more like you have to go out of your way to get there. And in that process, Johnny's room, my room, or mom and dad's room, someone else's room can be exposed. And it's not good. Like, yes, we can close our doors and everything, but it's just 
that many more doors to pass by. Right. Um, you also made the comment, it's like, Simon, of course, can go into your room. I don't think our parents would allow that, <laughs> to be 100% honest <laughs> with you. Well, I mean, it, it it's a little different. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things to address with that. But it would be easier for him to go to your room, to leave his stuff in your room. Like, oh, can I leave my, say we get a house with a pool. We allow people to use the pool with us. And rather than leaving the clothes out in display, he can leave it in your room versus anywhere else. Again, there's boundaries that shouldn't be crossed and boundaries that will be placed if that was the case. But it's just a theory or a comment being thrown out. I suppose. But I feel like that's just a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a different conversation that will be had when it's needed. But at the moment, everything's just a theory. It's not being put into practice yet. Yeah. One of the things that I want to approach this conversation or how I want to segue the conversation to is that what are certain things that you're kind of afraid of to address head on Mm, in regards to like imposter syndrome or anything kind of anything because this is kind of addressing the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. but it can go a little bit more beyond that for example some of the things that I'm afraid to face head on is the idea of me trying to get a job out of state Mm. I want to do that like I crave to do that but I it kind of freezes me to the point where I don't want to try to look for a job out of state unless I feel like I know that I have a support system there which is going to be hard because I don't know anyone else outside of the state not really another thing would be probably going into a PhD school that's the thing that I've been thinking about and it's just been lingering in the back of my head. I know it's an additional five to seven years of education. And the age that I will be when I finish that, it's going to be older than I want to be. And I get terrified of that. But another thing that I want to do that kind of I'm afraid to face head on is like pursuing a PhD program out of the country. Mm-hmm. so there's so many things like that that are a little terrifying for me that I, I want to at some point face head on but I don't know how or when or what I need to do to get there so these are basically ambitions you have but you're afraid to face head on as you've said yes ambitions dreams cravings aspirations whatever words you want to use yes So I don't know, because I personally never really think about my fears. I don't know if I really have any, to be quite honest. You know, our mom is afraid of like snakes and lizards, kind of. And that's like a fear, because when she sees, she freezes, you know, or she runs away. But to me, despite the fact that I may not like something like spiders or something, I am more than willing to get close enough to capture a bug or dispose of it or something. But I don't really think of certain fears like that. Ambitions probably may be different. I am afraid, but in the process of trying to get there, I'm not. 
So for example, while I was in community college, I was afraid of transferring. I was afraid of applying to schools. I was afraid of not getting accepted. I was afraid of everything, basically. But I would just take everything one step at a time. So I would do well in community college in my schools and studies so that when it came to applying and transferring, it wouldn't feel so intimidating. Despite the fact that selecting a school was also a fear that I just had. I didn't know what schools I wanted to go to quite fully. So when I would apply, I still felt a fear, but it wasn't like all that bad because it was just, okay, the application process, then hit submit. And then afterwards, wait, (laughs) wait until you find out. And those are like my types of fears. But once I transferred, once I started going to school, I wasn't afraid of transferring. I knew once I get to the school, I'll just work hard and I'll be fine. But there's still, to me, that thing, it's like, but can I do this? But can I do this? In the back of my mind. But at the same time, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. So I've gotten two thirds of the way there and I'm still here. So despite the fact that I may be afraid, I don't let it stop me. So like I said, I don't really think about my fears. I know they are there, but since I don't really fully acknowledge them, I don't really feel them. One way that I... (laughs) I told Johnny this. I think when we went to a trip for your birthday Uh this year, Mm-hmm. that I signed up for a nomad style contest. Okay. I'm not going to say the company, but there was a company that was going to give, I think, 12 people an opportunity to travel wherever it is that they wanted to go for a full year using their company to stay in certain places mm-hmm. and live like a nomad. So like traveling, living out of your suitcase, basically. Yeah. And they had asked, why do you want to contribute to this? And I was afraid to enter the contest. I entered it. (laughs) I was afraid to enter the contest at first because I saw it being promoted. And I think I still had a week before the deadline at that point. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. I just filled it in, wrote my little essay because they wanted like a really, really short thing, maybe 100 words. And I, I just said, I always lived in a place where I'm stable and always had a roof over my shoulders. But I had no privacy and I was always, everything was structured. But I craved to live an unstable life in a sense where I would try to live out as a suitcase, not know where I'm going to be sleeping, but push myself in a way where I can be free. I think is the kind of language that I wrote. And I, I was thinking I should have been more paralyzed in fear when trying to apply for that. And I was like, whatever i'm gonna go ahead and apply am i gonna win who knows if i lose i mean you know that's fine too but i just went and applied for it the application process of stuff is not daunting i think it's just the overthinking of the application process is what's more daunting to me at this moment Mm -hmm. once i'm actually in the application like i'm already at apply now i already filled in like okay i know my name i know my address i know what schools I went to, everything. I know references. I have references. Will I ask them for letters of recommendations? Probably not just yet until I know I have something in line. But it's just, 
I don't know. It's interesting. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of funny because like I mentioned, despite the fact that I felt these fears, I knew that if I took it one step at a time and just was in the process of it, I wouldn't feel it that much. So like I said, I would just go through the application. I started knowing like, oh, this they're just asking me things like what is my age, my email, my whatever. And it's not difficult to do those things to fill out those responses but like you said it's the whole what am I doing for the rest of my life what am I getting myself into that can be more daunting and it leaves a lasting impression because it's it's a life decision basically in a way that's probably why I haven't entered a relationship yet because I find that also daunting as well like Opening myself up to a person, getting to know them, developing feelings, just developing feelings, <laughs> but trying to figure out if I can be happy with them. And then if I am, the po- the fear of possibly losing them. There's just all of these different stages. These are the things that I think about on a somewhat daily basis. And it's not even like in the front of my mind it's always in the very very back like I'm playing a video game and then I'll probably be thinking of what if I go back on a dating app but no I don't want to deal with it's just this little subconscious train of thought I don't like it I don't know where I can help you with that because (laughs) don't get me wrong relationships are hard work I'm constantly working at my relationship it's so difficult (laughs) but I mean, despite the work, when you're with somebody that you know you want to be with, it's worth it. It's work, but you enjoy it, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, I get that. Okay, let me put it in a way that's easy to understand. And I only say this because I've actually had dreams about it like this. Okay. You know how there's that game show style (laughs) <laughs> who are you gonna go on a date with next yes. the person is like on a stool there's a wall and then there's three different contenders yes. behind the wall yeah and usually you'll see like either i like how you have or- very dated dating show things on your mind <laughs> rather than like uh those new things like the bachelor and the bachelorette yeah no 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 i'm dated i I, i'm an old old that's so funny because i think i think that's probably the same way if i were to have ever thought of anything it would probably be the similar way a dating show kind of way yes 70s dating dating show yes that's what i was thinking the 70s like dating show style people hiding like the big floral print rainbow print someone with a fancy mic and contender number one what's your idea a date (laughs) yes exactly but the thing is like i would see these people i love this but i wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) i'm buying too much of laughter can we do that (laughs) i kind of want to do that a playful escape a dating game show with a blind date kimberly and Three contenders. Oh, <laughs> uh, you would have Contestant to. Contestant number one. <laughs> you would you have to us? organize that. These people would have to be on Zoom and be a contender number one, contender number two, and contender number three. Cameras dr- off until the end. Yes, exactly. Or I would have to turn off my camera, look away from the screen. I don't know. But this is 
this is interesting. <laughs> I love this. Uh, a 70s styles dating show in the 21st century in the year 2021. Yeah. So you've had this dream. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this dream where I would always try to figure out who it is that I would be dating potentially for? not really best suited for like or a potential who, who partner would be best suited for you yeah but i don't like i wouldn't remember the answers i wouldn't remember anything but you know how sometimes you would have dreams that you would kind of at least see some kind of facial feature or a feature physical feature that you can recall eye color hair color whatever i always saw them as a completely black cardboard cut out with a big white question mark so you have no idea is what you're saying <laughs> yes okay and to me that is terrifying because I, I would like here's a phrase that i've been saying a lot lately i have many questions and no answers to them i don't like this i get that don't get me wrong despite the fact that i've been in a relationship for many years i am very much a pessimist and that's not changed but my attitude has because simon hates that i'm pessimistic about a relationship he absolutely hates it but i've been this way forever i used to always be like oh who even knows i, I used to make these comments to like boyfriends or people that liked me or whatever who who knows what's gonna happen in the future who knows how long this relationship's gonna last or i would be like i don't even know if we're gonna work out and those comments simon always from the beginning when i started saying that he said i don't like that you're saying that because to me that sounds like you already want our relationship to end that's where you and i are, are opposites like so for me my personality is more optimistic in certain ways but my mentality is pessimistic but i will never say that i would still be hopeful that like the relationship would last longer we i would try to talk about like oh maybe in the future we can go to this wedding together or this wedding like in three months I, i've been watching how i met your mother mm -hmm. and in the show ted mosby is single but he thinks that three months in advance that he's not going to be single and he would have a date to a specific wedding and he's still single but he he thought that he checked plus one but for me I, I kind of feel like I'm the hopeless romantic if I start seeing someone I'm entering that relationship with them and it's going to be a long-term relationship of some sort but I'm negative in the sense like I don't know if I really like this person like I I don't know. There's so many seeds of doubts. There's so many things. Again, I'm going to say this. I feel like I need to talk to a therapist of some point to break this down a little bit more. But will I? Who knows? I get that. And that's super funny that you said that we're opposites in that way because I've always known I've been this way. I've always been like pessimistic about relationships. And like I said, from the beginning, Simon always told me that he did not like it. He did not want me to be pessimistic. But to me, before Simon, all relationships failed. So I don't think it was personally me that I was, you know, pushing them to fail. <laughs> I don't. But obviously, my mindset was different. Despite the fact that I still might have hesitations about my relationship, I always get over it. I 
may think, oh, maybe Simon's not the person for me. Maybe we're not meant to be together. But the more I think about it, I can't imagine my life without him because he is always been in my life for such a long time. It's difficult for me to think of anything other than my life with Simon. But I also tell myself, but if anything happens between me and Simon where we're not together anymore, I have to get through it. I can't just be super sad and depressing about my life if Simon's not in it. So I no longer have those negative pessimistic comments about my relationship with Simon. And if I do, I always get shut down by Simon. Like, don't say that. I don't like it. <laughs> it's kind of like a shock therapy, if you will. It's kind of like, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. So it stops me from saying them in the future. So I have to actively think before I speak when I'm with Simon. And sometimes there are moments, like I said, in the past where I don't and he gets upset with me. But I have actively been thinking more before speaking when I'm talking to him because I'm trying to be courteous of like his feelings and our relationship, I suppose, as well, because sometimes it could be about a relationship. Don't get me wrong. I get it. There's so many questions. <laughs> And not enough answers in the world for them. It's not that there's not answers, but you may not have them at the moment. Yeah, I guess I like knowing things and not knowing things frustrates me and it just amplifies my anxiety. While I know it is a normal thing, I overthink them, which is my biggest weakness. It's within human nature to fear the unknown. So I understand that, but you don't strike me as somebody in that field because that's more science-based where they do research so they have more answers and you're not, I don't want to say you're not science-based because I don't think that's 100% true, but your background is literature. Yeah, my background's literature, fantasy, overthinking, a world so that's supposed I think to be simplistic. I think, yeah, you're overcomplicating your life. I don't think you have to overthink so much. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I understand. It's it's just you, your personality, yes. your who yes. you are, your anxieties. You're just constantly running a mile in your head with your thought process. Your train of thought just never stops. No, it never stops. People say, what are you thinking about? I would say nothing but everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get that. But sometimes you just have to mentally shut down. I don't know how, how I do it. But I do it all the time. <laughs> I mentally shut down by playing Minecraft. I No, you just said that you when even when you're playing, well, that in the back of your of mind, you still have those thoughts. Yes, but the only time in Minecraft when I'm not thinking about it is when I'm trying to build a castle. Yeah, I think, but that's not addressing the issue either. You're just ignoring it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's the best. That's plan. why there's no good way to overcome those anxieties. You either ignore it or you overanalyze it. No, you have to face it head on <laughs> and overcome. I am a coward. I ignore it. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with ignoring it if we're going to address it in the future. But I don't think you need to overanalyze before you get to that point. 
Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Because basically what you're doing is you're overanalyzing. And when you're not, you're just ignoring and you just don't want to face it. Yeah. Because you're overanalyzing or ignoring. <laughs> I feel like I am in therapy now. Can we wrap this up? <laughs> sure. Maybe we should get some therapists up in here. I don't have money for that. So. Uh, well, maybe next time. In next week's episode. Cindy will be my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't studied that, though. I mean, you took a psychology class. That's more than enough. (laughs) I've taken four psychology courses. Oh, see, that's that's more than me. I took one psychology class in high school. You took psychology in high school? I did. That's interesting. I should have taken psychology in high school. I, I don't remember anything. All I know is Pavlov. Pavlov, the dog training scientist. Oh, most people usually think of Freud, Sigmund Freud. No, I hate Freud. Freud, I only know because I'm an English major. What do you know about him? His complex. That's all I know. Yeah, that's that's like the most common thought when I think of psychology. Yes, only the theory of it. But I think... That is it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening to this really crazy episode where we're talking about our fears, our anxieties, and a bunch of other nonsense. If you have any fears about experiencing imposter syndrome or being an imposter, send us an email. Tell us your stories. How did you overcome it? Or did you overcome it? Question mark. Our email is aplayfulescape at gmail.com. Follow us on all of our social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Reddit. Discord. And Discord. (laughs) Our social media handle is A Playful Escape. Until next time. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Have a nice day.